This is Leewood Online, a ministry of Leewood Baptist Church, located in the Kansas City area. For more information about us, visit us online at www.leewoodbaptist.com. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of James. Today we start a new series in the book of James. Pretty familiar book, easy book to read and to uh, follow along with, pretty easy themes, but the beauty of the book of James is that it shows you what Christianity, being a Christian, a follower of Jesus, looks like on a day-in and day-out basis. See, a lot of times what happens to us is that if we're not careful Our theology and our doctrine stays in our heads, and we know it well. Maybe we can articulate our theology and the doctrine that we believe well. Maybe we know Scripture really well, but our lives really aren't any any different. And so what James writes in this book, this epistle, is this is what the faith, this is what the Christian faith looks like lived out. As we'll see, James makes a very strong claim. He says, faith without works is dead. It doesn't exist. It's not there. We'll talk a lot about that. But we're going to see what does this works of faith, what does this look like in our day in and day out lives? One of the most used words in the English language is why. How many of you have ever been around maybe a little kid who asks why all the time? Usually about age two to three. You tell them to do something, it's why. You know, brush your teeth, why? Uh, Go to bed, why? We ask ourselves uh, at times, why did I do this? You ever been in that situation? Maybe you've done something that was foolish. You say, ask yourself, why did I do this? Usually that's... (laughs) in college. Uh, Why did I do this? Or why did I say that? I wish I could take that back. Or when difficult situations come up in our lives, we often ask God, why? We say, God, why did you allow this to happen? Why is this person in my life? Why did this relationship have to be broken? Why did this loved one have to pass away? Uh, We've all been there in our lives where we've been asking God the question, why? And one of the, the biggest questions in life is, why do bad thi- things happen to good people? But I think in the Christian life, when we ask that question, why, one of the common things we're asking about is, why do trials, difficulties, suffering, why do those come about in our lives? Why do we suffer? I've been Honestly, I've seen this uh, passage coming uh, for the last few weeks, and I've been really nervous about it because, like, this is like one of those big life questions. Like, why do, why is there difficulties? Why is there suffering? Why is there disease? Why is there death? Like, all these questions. And so, not going to necessarily address why those things. Like, we just don't have time for that. But, like, more or less, the mindset that we as Christians have when difficult circumstances in our lives happen. As I said, the book of James is one of my favorite books of the Bible because it's incredibly practical. 
Some uh, scholars call it the Proverbs of the New Testament. If you've read through Proverbs in the Old Testament, very practical. Here's how you live out wisdom in your lives. And so uh, many people call James the Proverbs of the New Testament. As I said, the author of the book is James. But what's interesting about James, or if you want to call him Jim, you're welcome to. The author of the book is James. And not only was he the author of the epistle, he was also the half brother of Jesus Christ. In fact, we see that James in John chapter 7, he rejected Jesus to to be the Messiah. He didn't believe that his own half-brother was the Messiah. But then later, we see in 1 Corinthians 15, he's converted. He believes in Jesus for salvation. So a little bit of background about James, but we're going to learn here in just a moment a little bit more background about those who would have received his letters nearly 2,000 years ago. So look at verse 1 with me. We saw the bulk of the passage read by Pastor Jason. Let's look at verse 1. It says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad, greetings. So what we see here is that James is, he's writing to Jewish Christians, and we know that it's Jewish Christians because he says to the 12 tribes, to the 12 tribes of Israel. So he's writing to Jewish uh, believers, Jewish Christians, and it says who are dispersed abroad. So he's writing to Jewish Christians and they're spread out. Well, James was the pastor, the leader, the bishop of the church there in Jerusalem, the overseer of the church in Jerusalem. And so obviously we know because of, uh, of all of Scripture that Jerusalem was, a, was the place for Jewish people. That was their capital there in Jerusalem. Well, it says that they're dispersed. So James is writing to Jewish people who had, Jewish Christians who had been dispersed, who've been scattered out of Jerusalem. Now, why? Why were these people, Jewish people, why did they leave their hometown, their capital, Jerusalem, and why have they been spread out? They've been spread out throughout the region because of persecution, some translations, uh, this, in verse 1, it says the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Now, I don't want to bore you with Greek, but I, I think this is an important word for us to wrap our minds around a little bit. The word dispersion or disperse comes from the Greek word dyspora. That's the nice thing about Greek is there's a lot of, we get a lot of our English words uh, from Greek. That's why in seminary I much prefer Greek over Hebrew because in Hebrew there's just no similarities at all. In Greek at least you can kind of get your way through it a little bit if you know the English language. Well, the dyspora, that comes from the word dyspora, and the first part of the word if I were to spell it out, it's spelled D-I-A-S-P-O-R-A. That first part of the word dia, D-I-A, basically means through. All right? And the second part of the word is spora, which means sowing. So the idea of the word dispora is taking a bag of seed and throwing it. Right? If you plant grass, you might throw that grass seed out or you put it out in a spreader, the fertilizer spreader. That's the idea here is dispora. Something's being dispersed, thrown out, means to sow. 
So the idea is that the Jewish people have been spread out like seed from Jerusalem. The word dispersion became a term for Jews outside of Palestine because of persecution. Maybe because of the persecution of Stephen, if you know, in the book of Acts. Stephen was a leader in the church, and they stoned him. The Jewish leaders stoned him and killed him. And because of the persecution that the Jewish Christians were facing, they were facing incredible trials and were probably asking themselves the question, why? Like, let's put ourselves in the shoes of these Jewish believers. They're probably asking themselves, why? God, why are you allowing us to be persecuted as the church? Why are we having to leave? I mean, these people are essentially refugees from Jerusalem. And they're asking themselves, why? Why is this? They could have been asking themselves, why? Why did this happen? They were being harshly persecuted, most likely by Herod Agrippa. This man would persecute these Christians by either stoning, burning, beheading, or strangling, all because they believed in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. With all of this going on, the Jewish Christians were obviously experiencing extremely difficult trials. And so James, their pastor, their elder, their overseer, their bishop is writing to them and is helping them to understand what is happening, helping them to understand. So let's look at verse 2 as he begins to address these Jewish Christians whose lives are in danger because of their belief in Jesus Christ. It says this, verse 2, "'Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials.'" So we see first here the attitude and the mindset required for facing trials. Now, was James crazy? Is he insane? Is he drunk? He's telling these people, he's telling us to count it all joy in trials. What he's saying, he's not saying count it all joy whenever you experience, whenever maybe various trials will come. No, he says whenever various trials come. So he says that trials are going to come. As believers in Jesus Christ, trials tribulations, suffering is going to happen. It's automatic. It is going to happen. So what James is not saying, he's not saying to these believers that they need to be excited about these trials and these tribulations and suffering. He's not telling them to jump for joy when trials come into their lives. But what he is saying, he is saying, what he's causing them to ask the question, what does it mean to count it all joy in suffering? Example of counting it all joy would be Paul and Silas. Perhaps you know that, that, that account. In Acts chapter 16, there was a slave girl that was demon-possessed, and Paul cast the demon out. The master got mad because he was making money off of her. He takes Paul and Silas to the authorities. They beat them. They put them in prison. They put them in stocks, which were used to spread the legs of the prisoner as far as they could, to which would then cause cramping. So they're there in prison, Paul and Silas in prison, in stocks, and they could have asked God why. But instead, what does it say? They sang hymns of praise to God. 
That's what it means to count it all joy when we face troubles, when we face suffering. It's a heavenly mindset. It's a different perspective. You see, as believers in Jesus Christ, we have a different perspective on life. We have an eternal perspective. We know that this life is temporary. This is not all there is. It's temporary. We, have, we must have a heavenly mindset as followers of Jesus Christ. And so as we have that heavenly mindset, we know that God does, just, does not do things for the sake of doing them. That God is an intentional God, and that God is intentionally at work all the time. Before COVID hit, we were going through experiencing God together. Maybe one day we'll get back to that. But one of the key themes in Henry Blackaby's book, Experiencing God, is that God is always at work around us, and we must join Him in that work. And so one way that God is always at work in us is through trials and through suffering. So we must have that heavenly mindset to realize that God has purpose in trials. God is trying to make us stronger through trials, and we should praise Him. We should praise Him for the work that He is doing. But why should a believer count it all joy? It's not just this meaningless, like, uh, happiness that we have. No, why should we count it all joy? Because of the end result of suffering and trials. Because look at verse 3. Is he, James says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you, might, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So James is saying that the testing of faith produces endurance or steadfastness. So the end result of suffering and trials, the end result of that is steadfastness. What is the idea behind that? James is saying that the testing of their faith, faith of these Jewish Christians that has an impact on the very core of their spiritual being, of looking to God and allowing them to work. So when we face suffering and trials in our lives, we must understand that the difficulties we go through, it has an impact on the very core of our spiritual being. It gives the picture of being under a heavy load and being determined to stand there in the strength that Christ provides instead of trying to run from it. Because here's the reality, when it comes to trials and it comes through suffering, what is our natural reaction? It is God, make it stop. And we might run to God in our trials, but it's not leaning on Him. It's asking Him, God, take it away. And all that really is, it's spiritually running away. When God in His graciousness and in His mercy, He allows us to suffer. You say, Adam, that's kind of sadistic. Like, what is God's problem? Why would He cause us to suffer? The reason why God causes us to suffer is so we can have endurance and steadfastness in our lives. But if we are honest with ourselves, when trials come in our lives, we often run from them. We shake our fist at God. We get angry with God. We become bitter towards God instead of embracing our trials and running into the arms of Jesus. 
And when we get to the point of running to the arms of Jesus, when trials come, then we will know what it means to be steadfast or patient in trials. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, verse 2, he says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so when we look at, if we're looking for an example of steadfastness and endurance, the writer of Hebrews says we need to look no further than Jesus Christ himself. That Jesus endured the cross and despised the shame, but now he is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. You see, a lot of us, when it comes to trials and tribulations, we run away. And I think as American Christians, one of the words that scare us the most is persecution. And honestly, here in the United States, we have no idea what persecution even means. So let's not act like because of the political climate of our world that we are facing persecution. That's not persecution. We as American Christians, we hold to our religious freedom Yes, because our founding fathers founded it, but honestly, I think if we all look deep into our hearts, we hold to religious freedom because honestly, we're just scared of being spiritually persecuted. I've told this story before to some of you. I had a friend of mine, George Tagley, who taught English in a university in China for two summers while we were in college. And while he was in college, uh, uh, George was teaching English there in China, and he got in contact with a lot of different uh, Chinese Christians. And these Chinese Christians, they would hold their worship services in apartments because they could not eat, uh, meet out in uh, public because of the communist government there. And they would, they would worship together. They would sing quietly. They would study the Word of God uh, quietly uh, in an apartment. He even told the story of a, a college girl, um, a Chinese uh, young lady, and they baptized her in a bathtub in her apartment because that's all they could do. And just in talking with George, George said that during his time with the Chinese Christians, he said that one of the things that stood out to him was the way they prayed and what they would pray for American Christians. And these Chinese brothers and sisters would pray for us as American Christians. And you know what they were praying for us? They were praying that we would face religious persecution. Why? Because whenever the church is persecuted, the church spreads. And the gospel goes out in a way that is not, not even known. See, I believe that one of the reasons why God allowed these Jewish Christians to be persecuted in that early church age was so that they would be dispersed and that the gospel would go out amongst the, the region. Because whenever spiritual persecution truly happens, the church is broken up and it is dispersed and it goes out. The gospel goes out. But what's happened over the last 200 years in the United States, we as the church, we have just gathered, but we've failed to scatter. And one of the reasons for that is we've never really faced persecution in our country. 
And as American Christians, we've come become uh, complacent. We don't share the gospel because someone might think we're a little radical when we have brothers and sisters around the world that are truly, their lives are being, uh, have been taken from them because of their faith. They are being tortured because of their faith. And we don't even have the, the slightest clue what persecution truly is. And so we've grown stagnant as the American church. And we have allowed politicians to campaign to us to uphold religious freedom when all they're really doing is manipulating us. And perhaps as American Christians, we should join in with our Chinese, and Chinese brothers and sisters and begin praying that we would face some difficulty in worshiping and facing some difficulty of persecution. Why? So the gospel will be spread throughout our country. Look at verse 5. The action required for facing trials, look at verse 5. It says, now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. The, uh, James writes, he says, lacks wisdom. He said, only wisdom can, can someone, only in wisdom can someone have joy in facing trials, because that joy does not come naturally. So it will require a bunch of wisdom for us to count it all joy when trials come. Because our natural reaction when trials and suffering come is to run from it or to ask God to take it away. But no, it takes real wisdom to count it all joy. That wisdom of eternal perspective. And so James writes to these Jewish Christian, Christians, he says, Now if any of you lack wisdom, ask God who gives to all generously or liberally and, uh, and gives without holding a grudge. See, when we face suffering and trials in our lives, we have to come to the point of saying, God, I can't do this, but you can. That is asking for wisdom. I wonder if sometimes God places us in difficult circumstances to where he can get us in that place of asking for wisdom. Because as long as things are going well and our health is good and there's money in the bank account and family's uh, healthy and good, we really don't have a tendency to ask God for wisdom. But we ask God for wisdom when trials come. So I wonder if God brings trials and suffering into our lives to cause us to look to Him. And now look down at verse 6. He says, But let him ask in faith, asking for wisdom and faith, without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. This wisdom that we must ask for in order to endure suffering and trials, this wisdom and help must be asked for in faith and trust in God. Oftentimes we think that hard times in our life are too tough to handle for God, but what that is is a trap for Satan to get us to distrust God. That's what Satan did in the Garden of Eden with Eve, right? Satan asked Eve, did God really say, what was Satan asking her, is God really good is God holding out on you? Does God really have your best interest in mind? And so what can happen when we face difficulties and suffering in our lives, we find ourselves in a cosmic battle for our souls because we have Satan whispering lies in our ears asking us, is God really good? 
did God really say? Is God holding out on you? Is God being good to you? But in reality, we need to have faith and remember who God is and remember what He has done for us. And the reality is if we do not ask in faith, we will lose that stability of God and then life is going to throw us around like the waves of the sea. Let's go down to verse 9. James writes, he says, Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation. But the, let the rich boast in his humiliation, because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises, and together with a scorching wind, dries up the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So when James writes, he gives this picture of the, the scorching sun and, and the grass drying up and the flower wilting in the heat. And what James is writing, he is saying that everything in life is temporary. Our family is temporary. Our possessions are temporary. Our finances are temporary. And so it all is just temporary. And so that is why James writes, he says, let the, let, let the, the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation. Let the poor brother boast in his exaltation. But let the rich boast in humiliation because he will pass away like the flower of the field. And see, that sounds kind of like a dark passage, but what this does is it shows us that even our suffering, even our trials are temporary. Because he goes on to say, verse 12, blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So here's the reality. If we are a believer in Jesus Christ, one day we will be in heaven. We will be in eternity with Christ forever, and we will be standing before God. And when we are at, when we are at uh in heaven, and we are at the feet of Christ, then we will understand truly what our suffering was all about, what our trials were all about. And when, when we finally reach the point where we are standing in God's presence, we have trusted in Him that we will receive the crown of life. And it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. When we are in heaven, we won't be thinking about the trials and the suffering we went through when we finally get to see Him. But while we are here on earth, God is bringing suffering, God is bringing trials into our lives to strengthen our faith, to, call, to develop endurance and steadfastness in our lives so that when we stand before Him, we can say it was worth it all because of Christ. Pray with me. God in heaven, we need wisdom. We need the ability to live life well. And Lord, in one of those areas, we need wisdom. 
is to count it all joy when we face trials of various kinds. So, Lord, I pray that as we go throughout our lives, that you would help us to have a heavenly perspective, an eternal perspective on our suffering, that as we go through life and difficulties, we will be able to see and understand how you are at work in us, that you will develop endurance, steadfastness, patience in our lives. Forgive us for placing our hope and our peace in temporary things. Cause us to always remember that life is temporary and that one day if we believe in you, we will spend eternity with you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. you for joining us online. Leewood Baptist Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. For more information about us and our ministry, please visit us at www.leewoodbaptist.com.